Welcome to Women's Survival Guide. I'm Kim Drucker Stockwell, your host for this podcast and the writer of the blog, Women's Survival Guide, hosted on Substack. I interview women passionate about what they do in that now what phase of life with positivity and humor. And when I don't have an interview available, I write about something else. Either way, you'll most likely have a smile on your face when it's over. Enjoy! Welcome to Women's Survival Guide, a bi-weekly podcast and newsletter by me, Kim Drucker-Stockwell. I'm just going to get right down to it today and start with this past week's post. I originally published this interview with Marjorie Egan on July 17, 2022. I know her from the many hours of listening to her while I paint. I love speaking with her because she is so easy to speak with and insanely down to earth. I'm republishing it now because it's a little ray of sunshine. And in this, well, especially in this gloomy time of year in New England, but also because her interview is a good one that kind of got missed last summer, considering how good it is and how much you should listen to Marjorie Egan. She's got a lot of great ideas about the status of the current press and what people are and aren't getting. But let me begin. I'm from Boston, and in Boston, everybody is Irish Catholic, even if they are not. It's a big part of our culture. You've seen the movies based in, on Boston. Super upbeat. Friends of Eddie Coyle, Southie, Black Mass, The Departed, The Town, Monument Ave, Mystic River, The Boondock Saints, Gone Baby Gone, Live by Night, What Doesn't Kill You, Goodwill Hunting, Ted, The Fighter, The Verdict, Spotlight, The Heat, to name a few. One can liken it to New York, where everyone is Jewish, even if they aren't. It seems everyone knows some Yiddish, schlepping, schwetzing, klutz, kvetch, chutzpah, enjoy some matzo ball soup, or a knish, or a bagel with locks. But back to Boston and our culture. Who cares, right? But as much as I am writing about a woman from Boston today, I am writing about the culture and how it informed her life. Keep reading to see why. Maven of the Week, Marjorie Egan. Stock questions. For those of you who read WSG, you know I put the stock questions at the end of my interviews. But for Marjorie Egan, radio host and journalist for nearly two decades at WGBH, and journalist at the Boston Herald and Boston Globe for much longer, I'm going to put them at the beginning of her interview. The stock questions say more about her than an intro and help round out the rest of the interview. I added two questions. What was her favorite interview and least favorite? So here we go. What did you want to be when you grew up? A fiction author, she said. She wrote tons of, quote, little girl stories, her words, for herself starting at age seven until she was about 12. She kept them secret and said she has no plans of writing fiction at this point. What are you excited about now? And as it was last summer, she said summer, although she's probably still excited about summer right now. She was on her way to her place on the Cape when I asked her, and she is looking forward to her favorite cocktail with her friends. She grew up going to the Cape and goes every weekend. One of the women she sees down there was her first friend. They met at age two. She loves the Cape with all her heart, but worries about how crowded it has become and the changes in the environment. What books are on your bedside table? She has some great ones. She said she's on a Mary car that's k-a-r-r tear these days she wrote the liars club cherry lit and this 
The Art of Memoir. I have links to those on my site, Women's Survival Guide, on Substack. Carol Knapp, who wrote a poignant tale about her alcoholism, Drinking, a Love Story, recounted her 20-year battle with alcoholism, and Pack of Two, about her relationship with her dog. She died young of lung cancer, and the two books were published posthumously. Or two books were published posthumously. Appetites, Why Women Want, which describes Knapp's experiences with anorexia, and other women's struggles with addiction, and The Merry Recluse, a collection of essays. Marjorie noted that because of what she does for a living, reads for work, it's hard to fit in reading for fun. What do you do to relax? Meditate. And she does Baptiste hot yoga, walks, and was a big runner. In the end, she says, the planter's punch, the uh, recipe of the week, at her home on the Cape with her crew of buddies she grew up with may be her favorite way to relax. What category or subject would you add to the guide? I was explaining the concept of what the guide would be and could be, and she suggested a movie guide for women our age. Then I asked her what she would suggest for women who are struggling for purpose in their current, quote, middle age. And she said, volunteer, a great suggestion. Her favorites are kid-oriented. There are programs that are like Big Brother, Big Sister, but as sort of a foster grandparent. That sounds cool. Another area in need of help is politics. There are always the local favorites, she says, like Women's Lunch Place and Rosie's Place. Another idea she suggested, to write down your stories about your family for your kids. How many of us don't know much about our parents and grandparents? Favorite interview, crime-oriented. Her answer was not what I expected, but it makes sense. Her favorite articles were not about the big-name people, but the opposite, the unseen people, are surviving despite it all. In particular, she interviewed Natasha Steele, the mother of Cedric Steele, murdered senselessly at age 18. Marjorie's visit to their home left a lasting impression, as she told me in our conversation 12 years after the article was published in the Herald, to which I have a link in my newsletter. She interviewed a number of mothers and fathers who lost kids to violence. These parents, mothers in particular, bore their tragedy with grace and raw emotion. Least favorite interview. This was less of an interview than a reporter seeing an opportunity to ask an, an uncomfortable question of someone while reporting about something totally different. The person she asked was Billy Bolger, then head of the Massachusetts Senate. This was before he took the fifth to avoid answering questions about his criminal brother, Whitey Bolger. A slew of bodies had just been dug up beside the Southeast Expressway in Boston thanks to a Whitey, Whitey Bolger informant. While at a political event, she can't remember what it was for, the Democratic Convention or something like that, she walks up to Billy Bulger and asks him about the bodies. She said he was, quote, vis visibly pissed. It sounds like it was a chilling moment. I know I wouldn't want to upset Whitey Bulger's brother. To get an idea of Whitey Bulger, watch the movie Black Mass. On with the interview. <clears throat> I just got off the phone with Marjorie Egan. It was my fourth conversation with her. I didn't look at how long we were on for, but it was a while. Marjorie did not know me before I reached out to her. It took some doing to get a hold of her, but after a number of calls to WGBH, Boston's public TV radio station, along with a few others, 
where she's a beloved radio journalist host and a few emails. I got her attention and she's been nothing but generous with her time. She amazes me. <clears throat> if you don't know who Marjorie Egan is, you'll want to because she is uplifting, hardworking, and fair with a wicked sense of humor, even when reporting on the most depressing of topics. I've listened to her program with Jim Browdy for a number of years, Boston Public Radio. There's a link to it on my site, but you can also go to WGBH and find it there. The two, working together for 18 years and knowing each other for 25, are like a married couple, but they take each other's ribbings too well to actually be married. Here is a quote from a Boston Magazine article from 2018, to which I have the link on my site. They're genius broadcasters who have located a sweet spot between highbrow commentary and blue-collar banter, and combined it with dynamite on-air chemistry like Joe and Mika, Natalie Chet variety. In the same article, they go back to describe how in 1990, when Marjorie was a big-deal reporter at the Herald and Jim was running the Tax Equity Alliance for Massachusetts, she did an article on him. Though they are both quite liberal, they differ in their views on taxation and big government. She wrote, There's Gentleman Jim, Egan wrote, so smooth, so eloquent, exuding noblesse oblige in his rumpled blazers like the heartthrob of freshman girls on in Eco Econ 101. He's already the heartthrob of the pro-Sandinista left. Can't you just imagine him in a battered Save the Whales Volvo sneaking off to Creighton, Creighton Barrel at the mall at Chestnut Hill? I love that quote because it displays Marjorie's ability to respect her subject and po poke fun at them at the same time. It's not as easy as it sounds. They're on five days a week for three hours a day. Just think of that for a minute. They interview everyone. On the show, Boston Public Radio, they have a team of regulars who come on weekly or monthly and commentate on the latest buzz in local politics, religion, national news, medicine, food, culture. The mayor of Boston has a regular spot, and the governor does as well. The regulars all have, to t all have a tie to Boston, even if they live somewhere else now. The, quote, kind of hometown boy, girl, does good, unquote, characters who are impressive and make a listener feel proud to be a Bostonian. The show becomes a family to listeners. In fact, it's a lot like a family where you want to strangle someone, usually Jim, never Marjorie, and I love listening to both, and then you get over it. Back to Marjorie. On the radio, she comes across as incredibly kind and approachable. In fact, she is incredibly kind and approachable. I could have talked to her for hours, which I guess I have, and she was happy to chat, well, pretty sure. We talked about Fall River, her long-suffering hometown, her path to journalism, clear, her different jobs, motherhood, Catholicism, politics, and the latest on the Supreme Court, Dyer, leisure time, Cape Cod. The ease with which we chatted was exactly how anyone who listens to her show would think it would go. She's like the family you want without the responsibility or guilt. Last night, she needed to get off the phone so she could enjoy dinner she was cooking with her significant other and then do a few hours of prep for her radio show. Marjorie loves to work and has from the start. For much of her adult life, she's had three kids and two full-time jobs, a column for the Boston Herald and her radio show with Jim. She has a wee more time now due to dropping her column to enjoy life on the Cape, a new grandchild, beloved, 
and some projects she has wanted to do but has never had the time not telling. In the beginning, Marjorie Eakin grew up in Fall River, Mass with her parents and older sister. Her mom was a pianist who performed around the region and her dad a traveling salesman for Firestone Tires. I joked with her about the Lizzie Borden house in Fall River. The poem that reminds us of it is Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. And she said, in fact, her aunt lived in, a, in the former house that belonged to the family, Maplecroft. Go figure. She told me she loved radio as a kid and still does. One of her favorite shows as a young reporter was Marjorie Clackrood on AM radio. Little did she know how much time she'd eventually spend on air herself. Her English teacher at Durfee High, Fall River, named Dolores Burns, was a stickler for grammar and really taught her to write. She made her class write their essays over and over. We need more Miss Burnses today in our classrooms. She followed her older sister to Smith, in part because of the graduation speaker she saw, Gloria Steinem, when her sister graduated. Miss Steinem told her audience of women, they can do anything and should. So Marjorie applied to Smith, got in, and went. Soon, she discovered that it wasn't the right school for her, and she needed an adventure. She applied to Stanford, got in, and went. She said she wasn't exactly, quote, focused on her work, beach, surfing, and still wasn't sure what she was going to do when she graduated. Senior year, she took an exam and filled the old blue books up despite not having read the source material. Her advisor told her it was obvious that she hadn't prepared for the exam, but that was the best written baloney she'd ever seen and she should think about being a journalist. Marjorie graduated from Stanford, went home to Fall River, and got a job at the local paper as a, quote, stringer, where she was paid by the story. She was sent to cover the Westport Mass Septic Lagoon Commission meeting. She was there all night, listening to the town and the farmers. She delivered her story by 7 a.m. and was hooked. Within a year, she was working as a stringer for the Globe. She married a fellow reporter, but there was a rule that only one of a couple could work at the company. Marjorie left for the Boston Herald. She says that she had a blast there. While the Globe was fancier, it was more suburban, and the Herald was the, quote, urban paper that reported the juicier stuff. Time marched on, and she had three kids and was still working between Boston Magazine, the Herald, and then went to, back to Stanford with her husband for a fellowship for a year. She returned to Boston, got her own column, which was great because it allowed her to plan her own schedule. Marjorie Egan started covering big crime trials all over the country. O.J. Simpson was her first. She had a baby that she was still breastfeeding, but she had to stop because duty called. Work inserted itself into her life frequently. She had to leave family vacations to cover Princess Diana's death, Jackie Kennedy's death, and the JFK plane crash. She said that she found going to these high-profile crime hearings fascinating. She reported on Susan Smith, the Zedi killer, the Tufts professor murder, Bulger, the Wellesley doctor who killed his wife. She says she did love the trials. They were electric and unpredictable. 
There were so many reporters, all young and eager. It sounds like they had fun. And as exciting as her big crime reporting days were, she says she, what she got hooked on, what got her hooked on journalism was being a stringer. She says the minute reporters stop going to zoning board of appeals meetings or similar local hearings is the minute bad things happen to taxpayers. She says that is where we are now. The loss of printed papers has meant a loss of reporters getting paid to cover these meetings. The point, whether in print or not, the local press needs to be stronger. We taxpayers need to be engaged politically at a local level to protect our communities and our interests, and for what we and for that we need journalists. They have always been the unsung whistleblowers. Marjorie had a column at the Boston Globe called Crux that covered the Catholic Church. For her, the church represents a spiritual safe place. She is a liberal, though not a fiscal liberal, and prefers the Jesuit institutions. She knows that young people are not keen to support an institution that won't allow gays, women, or married men to be priests, won't support birth control or choice. So the church will shrink, which means the good it has been able to do will also shrink, schools, hospitals, colleges, and social justice. We know about the bad. She says it's hard to believe that the six Catholic Supreme Court justices are the same religion as she is, that both the church and our country are having a low moment. Both are split. She talked about the recent Supreme Court rulings, here's a link, and about what they have planned for the next term. If you are moderate, you will be miserable. If you are liberal, you may need to go on a decades-long vacation. In the Boston Magazine article I quoted above, they refer to Marjorie as a dual threat. She is a great writer, sure, lots of people are, but she is a relentless digger and journalist who thrives on seeking, learning, and discovery. And honestly, she's super funny, so that makes her a triple threat. If there's anything I would like to give WSG readers, it's the energy to keep seeking and learning and discovering. I look forward to seeing what Marjorie does as she takes up some more personal projects, perhaps a book. Then we have a recipe you won't hate, Marjorie's Planter's Punch, which you can go to the um, you can go to the blog to see, and then Finit. That's the end of that. And for all the other little bits, you can come back and check out the blog with all the links and the little fun pictures and things like that. Um, women's survival guide.substack.com. And thank you very much for listening to this. Cheers. Take care. Bye.